Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. It is uh, a great joy to be with you. Thank you for coming here on a sunny day. There's two things I've learned in 25 to 30 years of ministry cause people not to come to church. Daylight savings time and sunshine in Seattle. And uh, so I really appreciate your presence here. My name is Rich. I'm one of the co-lead pastors. And as we begin, I want to point out to you in your bulletin on the inside right, there's a blank space uh, for you. Uh, If you want to use that for notes, jotting down questions, verses, ideas, um, whatever you need to process this morning's teaching, that is there for you. We are in week three of our Lenten sermon series called Questions God Asks. And in our first week of the series, Greg led us through a powerful discussion looking at the first question, who told you you were naked? Which there's no better way to start a sermon series than talking about nakedness or defining the difference between nakedness and nakedness. And if you missed it, you should go listen to it. Um, In it, he pondered the themes of hiding and shame and sacrifice, what it means to give away and to give towards, how we see ourselves, we compare ourselves, and how God sees us. Then last week, we had a guest speaker named Verlin Fosner, who is part of the Dinner Collective, come to speak on the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us, discussing the powerful call of all followers of Christ to be sent ones. He looked at this idea of how God restores us and refocuses us, and then he sends us into our day-to-day lives to love and serve and to be representatives of Christ, just like Jesus did in his day-to-day, representing God to all he came into contact with. If you missed either of those, I highly recommend you going back and listening to them. But today, we are going to be looking at our third question that God asked, and that is the question we see in Exodus chapter 4, starting with verse 1, and that is the question, what's that in your hand? Um, And before we dive in, though, um, I would like to pray. Father, Son, uh, Spirit, this morning we do ask that you would meet with us, that we're in a place where there's so much going on. It's hard to decide, what do we do? What do we listen to? How do we respond? And so God, through your Holy Spirit this morning, help us to hear from you. Help us to know how to respond. Help us to distinguish between those things that are keeping us from moving forward and the things that are inviting us to step into something new. We're thankful that we could be here together as a body. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we read, I just want to give us a little context. The main characters of our story today is God speaking through a burning bush. It's always fantastic. And Moses, one of the most influential characters of the Old Testament. And if you remember, Moses at a very young age understood that God had called him to lead the Hebrews out of Egyptian slavery. And he was the perfect choice for this task. After all, Pharaoh's own daughter had adopted him as a son. And so Moses had these connections in the highest places. He had power. He had property. He had the finest education. And the people of Israel would naturally see his suitability for leadership and fall in step whenever he was ready to assert himself. But they didn't. One day, Moses struck down an Egyptian taskmaster for mistreating a Hebrew slave. He thought his people would see this act of deliverance as a precursor 
to freedom for the entire nation of Israel. But the next day, he saw two slaves engaged in a violent struggle. And when he tried to intervene, the man wronging his neighbor asked Moses, just who made you the prince and judge? Did he intend to settle this dispute with yet another killing? And so Moses, as a result, was afraid because if Pharaoh was seeking his death, if the Israelites were rejecting his leadership, then Egypt had become a dangerous place. And so Moses escaped and takes off to Midian. And he lived there for 40 years, tending sheep in the desert and eventually forgot all about leading Israel out of slavery. I'm going to pause there for a second because I can hardly see any of your faces. And I'm wondering if the lights maybe didn't get pulled up or something, but I would love to be able to see more of you. And I'm hoping that my bald head is not blinding you all. So, uh, But as we continue in the story, God had, forgotten, God had not forgotten the suffering of his people, even though Moses had taken off. And the humble task of leading sheep into the desert had prepared Moses for leading Israel there. And so the Lord called to Moses from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, letting him know it was time to return to Egypt and bring the Hebrews out of slavery. And so what does Moses do? Well, he resists. He's like, no way. He felt incredibly ill-equipped for such a great responsibility. He starts pushing back on God. He starts asking lots of questions. He makes lots of excuses. He's saying, God, you got the wrong person for the job. And we see examples of this in our text. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. If not, it's fine. You can follow along. But it starts like this. Moses speaking. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's always nice when God doesn't respond to your question, right? He says something totally different. And Moses says, it's a staff. He replied, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And so Moses throws it on the ground. It became a snake. And he ran from it, because that's what you do when you see snakes. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Now, real quick, I don't know if any of you have tried to catch a snake before. FYI, you shouldn't try to catch it from the tail. I just want you to know, just because the Bible says catch it by the tail, I don't want you to be like, oh, it says in the Bible we should catch snakes by the tail. That's not what you do. Bad things happen. Um, but the, 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 the text continues and it says, Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hands. Amazing. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, 
Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now, there's a lot of craziness going on in this story. And I want to try to focus us, particularly on this question, what's that in your hand? And I also want to point out something that we see in the text that you're going to see anytime you're reading the scripture. We're going to see it right now here in our present situation here at One Life. And as long as we follow Christ, this is what we're going to see. And it is that the Lord does something here. And that is that he gives his word before he reveals his power. He gives his word before he reveals his power. And as we step into obedience, it's then when his power is revealed. And so we're seeing that in the text. So God's done a lot of talking, but where do we see the power? We see his power when Moses takes steps of faith in response. And we see it in three signs. God's word said, you have to throw your staff on the ground. Moses throws his staff on the ground. And what happens next? What turns into a snake? Then God says, reach down and grab the snake by the tail. Wait, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> right? You don't ever do that. And we can make a safe assumption here. This isn't like one of those happy, like, friendly snakes. Not that there really are those, right? Moses is a shepherd and has been a shepherd for 40 years and sees this snake. And his initial response is to run because it's deadly. Quit running, the Lord says. Come back. Pick it up by the tail. This is a moment between the Lord and Moses, right? It's personal. You're talking to me, right? Pick it up by the tail. You have to think about Moses. What do you do? Moses is thinking, you'd be crazy to do this. And if you were ever to do this, you would want to pick it up by the head because that's the most dangerous place. You want to keep away. You want to make sure that isn't coming at you. His response is run. Try to get the sheep out of here as quickly as possible. But what happens? Moses rooted in faith, steps forward in obedience and reaches out and grabs the snake by the tail. And then what happens? The power of God is revealed again. It becomes a staff when he picks it up. And so what we're seeing here and what God is asking of Moses, both in this scene, in the rest of the book of Exodus, and for the rest of us in our lives, God is asking for obedience rooted in faith. This is what God is looking for in us, his followers. And I think it's important for us to pause here and be honest. We don't like that, right? You don't like it. I don't like it. Moses certainly doesn't like it. When God says, I want you to do this, and it's got risk, it seems dangerous, we're not sure why this would happen, we don't feel equipped, we have issues, just like Moses. God says, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but I've revealed this to you by my word and my spirit. And I want you to now be obedient to what I've called you to do. When this happens, just like Moses, we get nervous, we get anxious, we tend to justify our disobedience, our fears, our anxiety. And that's exactly what we see Moses do here. Look at verse 1. Moses answers, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Now, Moses knows himself. He knew he was the kind of guy, especially as far as the Hebrews and the Egyptians were concerned. He knew what he was like. 
He was not to be trusted. And if you remember his background, he was educated and grew up kind of in the Egyptian society, but he was also a Hebrew. He was kind of this person that never really had a home. The Egyptians wouldn't fully kind of take him on. The Hebrews wouldn't fully own him. And so he's thinking, you got the wrong guy. They're not going to believe what I say. I'm inadequate. I'm inefficient. I lack the ability. They're not going to believe me. And what Moses is guilty of here is something that most of us from time to time, if not very often, struggle with. And that is that he is using his past as a justification to not be obedient or faithful in the present. His past is affecting his ability to be faithful in the present. And this plays itself out all the time among those who God is wooing towards obedience. I would do that. I would be obedient. But people know what I've done. People know this about my background. People know I got in trouble for this. And sometimes we do it when nobody knows it. We just know our own story, right? We know our own secrets. We know the things that we've done. And so we feel as though we've disqualified ourselves from obedience and being profoundly used by God. And to be clear, when I say be profoundly used by God, I'm not talking about leading millions out of slavery. Maybe that's something you're called to. But I'm simply talking about this call to be faithfully present at home, at your work, in your neighborhood, to be outward with your faith in your community, in your day-to-day life. We make excuses to not participate in that. Now, what's great in the text is that the Lord never speaks to Moses' self-esteem. He never comes up and says, ah, there, there, Moses. I don't like you talking down about yourself. You're not that bad. You know Egyptian, right? You know how few Hebrews know Egyptian? You're one of the smarter men I've created. God does no soothing of his low self-esteem. He doesn't give any focus to that because the more we focus on our self-esteem, it tends to go down. God doesn't address any of his shame as well. He doesn't say, hey, Moses, I know you killed that person. That was really bad. You've been hiding ever since. And he doesn't say, you know what, Moses? You're right. You are not able to do this. Rather, God gives Moses what he needs. A picture of God that transcends his low self-esteem. It transcends his shame and his doubts. The Lord gives Moses three signs. He gives him the sign of the snake. He gives him the sign of leprosy being cleansed. And he gives him the sign of the Nile being turned into blood. Now, I don't know how this is for you. Whenever I see these things, I'm always like, what's the sign for again? And just to be clear, it's not about magic. It's not this hocus-pocus thing. When there are signs, what's going on is God is communicating to the world something about God. We understand something about God. That's what signs are for. And so in these three signs, God wants to teach Moses something, the Hebrew something, and the Egyptians something about who God is, and they're very significant, so it's important for us to look at them. So again, the first sign comes in verse 2, when the Lord says, what's that in your hand? And Moses is kind of like, uh, staff, he replied, and the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground, becomes a snake, and he runs from it. The Lord said to him, no, 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 reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And so Moses reaches out and took it, hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. 
This, says the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, there is something really significant about this. And if we know some history, it helps. Pharaoh has a crown. And that crown that Pharaoh would wear, there was this hooded cobra that was opened, facing out towards the enemies of Egypt. And so that cobra is being represented here. And it was a sign of Egyptian power and sovereign rule. And so the Egyptians believed, and the Hebrews have been taught that when Pharaoh puts on this crown, that that cobra's displayed on looking out, that he became a type of living God. In fact, the most powerful God of all of Egypt. And so God, for Moses, who ran from this power, from the people of Israel who have been subjected by this power, and for those who think this power is real, God says to them, let me show you what I think of that snake. Just grab it by the tail. What's being communicated here? God's saying, I'm not afraid of your power. You can't kill us. There's no real power here at all. Touch it by the tail. It becomes a staff. And it's important to note this because this is the thrust of what's going to be happening. It's the thrust of what's to come. It's the power of God flowing through the channel of Moses and his obedience, which is rooted in faith in God and who God is, that being the great I am. And then out of this sign comes another sign, leprosy. What does it say in verse 6? Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and he took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now. Leprosy in this period of human history is the great plague of humankind. They had no answers for leprosy. And what we find in some ancient writing is that in Egypt, they had actually thrown some of its wealth and some of its brightest minds on being able to conquer this highly contagious disease that was basically ravaging the ancient world to no avail. They were trying to do something. And once God says... Hey, you know what, Egypt? You know what you've been unable to do? Egypt with all their power, with all their wisdom, with all their gold. You know what they're not able to do? Moses, put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. And they see a death sentence. They see advance. They see stage four. His hand is white with leprosy. And you've got to imagine Moses is flipping out, right? Like, that's, I wish you would have told me about this, God, right? A cloak, I pull it out, find some rabbit, and instead, it's leprosy. Uh, that would have been nice to know. Uh, he's freaking out, and then God says, yeah, okay, put it right back in your cloak. Pull it out. What happens? What Egypt could never do, the Lord did through Moses in seconds. I just want to keep pointing this out. Moses, with all his inadequacies, with all his fears, with all his history of failures, 
will now be able to overcome the dreaded disease by the power of God flowing through the channel of obedience built by faith. That is amazing. And that's not even the last of the signs. There's one more, the Nile. See that in verse 9, it says this. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Now, in a little lesson on the Nile, every year at the high water point of the Nile, the Nile brings in some 30 feet of black soil into the Nile basin. So if you think about it, that's 30 feet of black soil in the middle of the desert. The wealth and power of Egypt laid in the Nile's ability to create soil that produced crop, that brought fish and waterfowl. Almost all of the power of Egypt was built around the Nile. And in fact, in the ancient world, they were synonymous, right? If you went around and traveled internationally and said, tell me about Egypt, they would say, home of the Nile. The two were synonymous. Egypt is the Nile, and the Nile is Egypt. In fact, they, they sang songs that actually worshipped the Nile. They called the Nile the father of life, the mother of all, the divine spirit that blessed the land unceasingly. So to them, the Nile made Egypt Egypt. And God says, if they don't listen to the first two signs, here's what I want you to do. Take, take a cup. Now, again, think of Moses. Take a cup standing in front of Pharaoh, standing in front of all these powerful leaders who don't know who he is. This is an absolute gutsy call. Take up your cup, fill it with the Nile. Are you ready? Right? And he's thinking, oh, no. <laughs> cup filled with water. What do I do? It's just going to come out water. He doesn't even turn it into blood in the cup. That would have been impressive. It's obedience by faith. He says, pour it out on the dry ground. And it's going to turn into blood. That's an incredible, powerful movement of God. And it says that once again, Moses, with all of his inadequacies, with his stunning history of failure, he's not lived up to his education. He's not lived up to his potential. He's failed over and over again. He's been in hiding. He's made foolish choice after foolish choice. This guy will be used profoundly by God to overthrow the most powerful force in human history at that point through his obedience rooted in faith. Now, we get here and we go, okay, got it. Three examples, obedience rooted in faith, crazy stories. What does this look like? In Seattle, right? Well, when you think about your relationship with God, when you think about how you communicate with God or you hear from God or how you go about your day-to-day -day life, would you say it's marked by obedience rooted in faith? Now, I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm not asking if you don't struggle. Um, we struggle I struggle, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, no one here has perfect obedience. But I'm asking if you think about your relationship with God, is it marked by the desire for and the baby steps in obedience marked by faith in God and who he says he is? 
And this is a really big, important question for us. Because what pleases God is obedience rooted in faith, not perfect obedience, because we can't do that. That's what the cross symbolizes for us and what Christ did on it. We're not going to be perfect, but we will stumble forward. And if you're not even trying to stumble forward in faith, then there's a problem. You're missing the point. You're not experiencing the abundant life that God has for each and every one of us. And to be clear, I'm not just talking about being good people or being morally conservative. That's not what's being talked about here either. Your external morality isn't what's being addressed. The question is, do you, do we, do I have a heart that is after the Lord? Do you want to please God? And do you take those steps of obedience as the word of God comes to you through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit? Because when you look at the scriptures and we look at this, here's where we are, where Moses is. He's not perfect. He doesn't have it all together. He has shame. He has doubt. He has low self-esteem. He has fear. You name it. He's standing on this ground. And the word of God comes to Moses and says, drop your staff. Reach out your hand. Put your hand in your cloak. Take up this cup. And Moses does it. And every time he does it, the power of God is made manifest through him. And I believe God is calling us, reminding us of the outward call of our faith in Jesus. He's reminding us of the call to be ambassadors of Christ, examples of Christ, to our world, to our city, to our culture, our friends, our family. And each week, we take communion right up here. Why? Well, because it is the ultimate sign. It's the ultimate picture of God communicating a picture of us to understand what God is like. Christ's body broken for you and his blood shed for you. It's a picture of the resurrection. And it tells us something of God. It's a God that reaches out to everyone. It's a God that loves everyone. It is a picture of a God that is willing to sacrifice literally everything, including his life, for everyone. I believe we are in a place much like Moses was. Because in many ways, we have spent much of our 40 years as a church working on our sheep. We've been very focused on our flock. And that's not a bad thing. But I think God is communicating to us. God is moving. God has been bringing signs and vision to us. And these signs and visions and teachings from the word of God through the Holy Spirit are calling us outward to do things a little differently. A dinner church at Magnuson reaching a very different demographic in our community than we're used to. And let's be honest, it's scary. It wells up lots of questions, doubts, uncertainties, issues of comfort, issues of shame, issues of time. How do we talk to these people? What if they don't listen to us? How much will it cost? What will others think about it? You name it. I don't, I've been thinking about it. I don't know if you have. And this outward call of God isn't just for us as a church. It's for us as individuals. Be outward with your faith in your work your home, with your family, with your neighbors, in your day-to-day life. That's scary. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know what to say. 
They know my past. Why would they listen to me? What if I get tired or lose a friend? What if I lose my job? I don't have time. I'm afraid. Maybe you have felt some of those as well. And here's the deal. God knows all of this, and just like Moses, God is asking us as a church and as individuals, what is that in your hands? What does that mean? (laughs) If you're sitting around and all of a sudden you hear, God says, what's that in your hand? It's kind of a weird question. What does the staff symbolize for us to understand? Well, first, to be clear... It's not anything special, right? It's not this, like, gold-plated, beautiful thing. It doesn't have special, like, lightning powers that fly out of it, which would be awesome. Um, in fact, it's probably something he found. Probably got it for free. He's been using it for 40 years. Nothing too special. But it symbolizes some things that are important. One of the things it symbolizes is Moses' identity, right? Shepherds have staffs. It symbolizes his income, his status, right? Which isn't a whole lot. And the staff also symbolizes his influence. You use a staff to move sheep from point A to point B. And so when God asks us what's in your hand, he's talking about our identity. He's talking about our influence, what makes us us. In other words, whatever it is you have, I can use. And what does God ask Moses to do with the thing that's in his hand? God asks us to lay it down before him. And what happens next? Well, in his faithful obedience, Moses throws it down and it comes alive. Never again is that staff called Moses' staff. It becomes the staff of God. In other words, the power wasn't in the stick or whatever that stick symbolizes, it was in the surrendering it to God. And it's no surprise to me that with the movement here at One Life to launch this new dinner church, that our general giving has gone down a bit in the last few minutes. We've heard from God through his word, through the Holy Spirit, calling us outward leading us and giving us direction and all these connections, including, as we heard today, a gift of $10,000 to do that. I mean, it's amazing. But at the same time, we've seen a little bit of a dip in our general giving. And I believe this is a situation much like Moses. And as a church, we could say, wait, God, I heard the call, I get it, but I don't think you know what you're doing. For 40 years, we really haven't done this. People aren't going to listen to us. People aren't going to trust us. Now our finances are a little low. That's a challenge. And God does not stop and say, you know what, One Life, you're right. I was wrong. My bad. I don't know what I'm doing. God says, what's that in your hand, One Life? What's in your hand, people of One Life? And he's calling us to lay down our everything in faithful obedience to the call. And once we make that step, the power of God will be made manifest, just like in Moses' situation and throughout the scriptures. Because the starting point of all influence is our willingness to lay it down before God. And I don't know about you, I cannot wait to see the way the power of God will be made manifest in and through us 
both as a church and as individuals in our day-to-day life when we all start doing this. Because if we remember, all Moses has in his hand is a simple stick. A walking stick. It's been dead for 40 years. He doesn't think it holds any potential whatsoever, let alone to deliver God's people. But before it's over, Moses' staff through God is able to do so many miraculous things. Confront the magicians of Pharaoh's coat. Turn the waters of the Nile River into blood. Bring plagues of frogs and lice and hail and locusts upon the land. Cause the waters of the Red Sea to stand up like a wall, then collapse on the Egyptians like the Israel after Israel passed through. It's able to bring forth water from the rock of Horeb and, and bring victory to Israel in battle as Moses held it high in prayer. This simple stick. What's that in your hand? So God isn't asking for something in somebody else's hand. So you should be looking at your neighbor, seeing what's in their hand, seeing their cell phone or whatever it is. It's your hand. And God isn't asking for something you don't already have. And God isn't asking for something super impressive. God is just asking for what you have right now. And we see these examples of this all throughout Scripture. What's in your hand? God does something and uses it. Miriam in her tambourine, little boy with five loaves and two fishes. Mary with her jar of precious ointment. Dorcas with her needle and thread. The widow with her jar of oil. David with his slingshot. Samson with a donkey jawbone. Gideon with lamps and pitchers and trumpets. And the Israelites with singers at the front of the army. in your hand. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and the prayer team to come forward. And what I'd like to ask you to do in your bulletin, there's a little connection card, and I'd invite you to pull that out. Um, It's always really helpful to have some things to think about as we leave this place. And it's really helpful for us as staff to hear from you. And so the questions I have uh, are simple. It has to do with this question, what's that in your hand? And I'm going to remind you. God isn't asking for something that someone else has. God isn't asking for something you don't already have. And God isn't asking for something impressive. Or all he's asking for is, what do you have right now? So, in other words, on your connection card, I would love to hear, who's God calling you to bless, love, and serve? Greg shared about this book. And really want all of you to take one. But the first chapter is on blessing. And it's just a simple way to say, how can I bless people in my day-to-day life? That's all it is. What do you have that's unique about you that allows you to bless those people that I don't have? You have a sphere of influence that I don't have. You have things about you that make you you that I don't have. And God is saying, I want to use you. So who's God calling you to bless? That could be a couple names or maybe one name. Whatever it is, I would love to hear because we'd love to pray. And what do you have in your hand that uniquely allows you to do that with those people? It could be as simple as, well, I work there and you don't. Or they're my neighbor and not your neighbor. Or I have a lawnmower and they don't. Or I have money and they don't. Or I can cook or whatever it is. What do you have in your hand that you might not think is very 
important that God is wanting to use right now? And last, what excuses, doubts, concerns, you name it, are keeping you from stumbling forward in faithful obedience? I'm very excited, and I'm going to say it again. I would love to hear your stories as we go for this next month looking for opportunities to bless, to have our congregation sharing these examples. Imagine every single one of you having an opportunity to bless three people this next week and for the next month, and we have testimony of those things. That is a beautiful thing. I'm going to close this in prayer. We're going to end with a song. And remind you again, if you have any interest in this dinner church, if you're just hearing about it for the first time, I know it's not for everyone, I invite you to grab your kids, grab some food, and come right back as we'll get started with it, try to get you out quickly. Um, but whether or not you're plugged into that, who's God calling you to bless? What is it that's in your hand that God is wanting to use for his glory? Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we lay before you our everything. The things that we have, we're not even aware of that can be used by you. The things that we have that we don't even think about. It could just be our relationship with someone. It could be an ability that we have. It could be... uh, a relational dynamic that we have. Whatever it is. God, help us not to be uh, making excuses. Help us to not have our doubts. Help us to lay all those things that might be getting in the way of us stumbling forward in faithful obedience to you. We lay it down before you. We give you our everything, God, so that you would be glorified. That you're power would be made manifest in and through us through your Holy Spirit. And not just in these crazy ways that we may or may not experience, but in the ways that are powerful in relationship to people that we see in our day-to-day life, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our friends, in our school. God, we just ask for your Spirit to help us see the opportunities and to respond faithfully, even if that means stumbling for your glory. Be with us as we worship you again. In Jesus' name, amen.